People love to speculate about the Lord's return. Fictionalized Christian books and movies abound with their sensational depictions of what is going to take place when the Lord returns. And I think that many times we forget that this is in fact fiction and uh, has in many instances very little to do with what the scripture actually says about the Lord's return. But the most popular books and movies concerning the Lord's returns centers on an insatiable interest in seeking to determine when the Lord's return is going to take place. When's it going to be? That's what everyone wants to know. Would it be a shock to you to realize that we already know everything we need to know about the timing of the Lord's return? We already know everything we need to know about the timing of the Lord's return. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 1 reads, Now as to the times and the epics, brethren, notice these words, you have no need of anything to be written to you. In this account, Paul is not writing about the times and circumstances surrounding the Lord's return. We may not know all that we would like to know about the timing of the Lord's return, but we know all that we need to know. All that we need to know to be ready to be prepared for it. What is it that we need to know about the Lord's return? What is it that we need to understand? Look at verse 2. For yourselves know full well this, that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. That's what you need to know. And it says, you know that full well. Therefore, I don't need to write to you about times and seasons. So the first thing I would point out to you, if anybody is going to use this passage to talk about revealing to us something new in the scripture about the time of the Lord's return, just go back to verse 1 and say, that's not even why it's written. Specifically, this is not to tell you about the times and the seasons. Couldn't be more accurate. Couldn't be more clear. That's not what this is about. It's about understanding the most important thing about the Lord's return, and that is that it's like a thief in the night. So what does that mean? That's what we're going to unpack for you this morning. And uh, again, you might be a little surprised at what this passage actually says, because rarely is it looked at in its context. The motif of the Lord's returning as a thief is a very important motif in the scripture. The idea of the Lord's returning as a thief is found in numerous prophetic passages of Scripture. Let me just cite a couple to give you a sense. Second Peter 3.12 Looking for and hasting the coming day of God on account of which the heavens will be destroyed burning and the elements will melt with burning heat. Second Peter 3.10 For the day of the Lord will come like a thief. 
The day of the Lord will come like a thief. Revelation 3.3 Remember therefore, when you have received and heard and keep it and repent, if therefore you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come upon you. Paul writes and says to the Thessalonians, You know full well, verse 2, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. NIV translates this, You know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. King James, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Full well, very well, perfectly. We can also translate this as completely and accurately. You know, he says to the Thessalonians, that the Lord is coming like a thief in the night. You know that completely. You know that accurately. I don't need to tell you any more about the idea that the Lord is coming like a thief in the night. How do they know that? Where did they get this complete and perfect, accurate understanding that the Lord is coming as a thief in the night? Well, there could be two answers. One could be that Paul had already addressed this with him while he was there. But remember, he was there a very short time, and he was there uh, really presenting the gospel. I submit to you that there is another answer to that, and that is because of the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus himself taught that his return would be like a thief in the night. Matthew 24, 43. Be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time the night of the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. Jesus uses this parable to teach about his coming. Matthew chapter 24 is foundational to this passage and every other New Testament passage on the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I often talk to you about informing theology, emphasizing that Scripture is progressive in nature, and we need to understand the foundational truths upon which other passages are built. You need to understand previous references. And there are a number of previous references in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 to the teaching of Jesus. And it assumes you know the teaching of Jesus. And everything that is in 1 Thessalonians 5 is in keeping with the teaching of Jesus. So many answers to the great quandaries about the Lord's return can be answered if you will start with Matthew 24. If you let that be foundational, work your way through it, verse by verse, you will see how the other passages of Scripture mesh with Matthew chapter 24. It's all there in Matthew 24. And then the other portions of Scripture take certain aspects and expound upon them. So, what does this mean that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come like a thief in the night? What do we to understand from this metaphor? This passage, at its heart, emphasizes a contrast. 
A contrast between the believer and the non-believer. The phrase that Jesus will come like a thief in the night has a world of difference for the believer and for the non-believer. So we want to focus on that contrast this morning. So we begin by looking at the non-believer. What does the Lord's coming as a thief mean for the non-believer? Three things. First, the Lord's coming as a thief means that the non-believer is not fearing Christ's return. Not fearing Christ's return. For notice verse 3. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them. They are not fearing destruction. They are not fearing judgment. They are not fearing condemnation. They are denying any reason to be afraid. They are pronouncing peace and safety. All is going to be well for us. We have a bright and wonderful and glorious future. And while they're proclaiming peace and safety, then all of a sudden, it's anything but peace and safety. It's destruction. And it is hardship. They are denying any reason to fear. And the reason they are denying any reason to fear is they do not believe that the Lord is going to return. They are going to be feeling confident. Matthew chapter 24, verse 37. Listen to these words. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. So what were the days of Noah like? It's referring to the Old Testament scripture where Noah, if you remember, was a builder of the ark. And God had said that he was going to bring a flood upon the face of this earth and that there was going to be just total devastation. Noah set about building an ark to prepare for this coming flood. What were the people in Noah's day doing while Noah was building the ark? Listen to Matthew 24. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in the days of which were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. Right up until the very last moment. Right up until the day that Noah entered the ark and the door was shut. The non-believing world round about him was just continuing on with life as usual. Marrying, partying, eating, drinking, with no concern about a coming flood. Although, although they were well aware of it. They were instructed in it. Hebrews tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He was preaching righteousness. He was preaching repentance. And he's building an ark. Giving authenticity to his message. Not only did he believe a flood was coming, he was getting prepared for it. And the people could walk by. Ah, Noah, you're making good progress there. I, I, I see you're up onto the second deck now. Oh, that's great. 
it made no impact. It made no never mind, if you will, to them. In fact, the scripture tells us that they scoffed at Moses, excuse me, at Noah. They ridiculed him. They made fun of him. Our world, for the most part, is not ignorant of the teaching of the Lord's return. If people understand Christianity, if people understand this great world religion, then they know that one of the basic tenets is that Christ is going to come back. And for those who do not believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, there is no greater fodder for ridicule and mockery than to believe in the Lord's return. Second Peter says this, No, first of all, then the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. There's no difference. It's been thousands of years. And life just goes on. It's just the same. Yesterday, it will be the same today, and it will be the same tomorrow. And they mock and laugh and ridicule anyone who could believe in the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And people like Harold Camping don't help us any. And I don't know how you could have watched the news without realizing that Harold Camping had predicted that the Lord was going to come back. And he didn't come. And the commentators had no end of fun with the Christian community for their belief in the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. They weren't ignorant of it. They just said, bah humbug. Can't be. Can't be. We need to realize that for the non-believer, it is not a cause for fear. They don't dread it. Secondly, the Lord's coming as a thief means that the unbelievers are not expecting Christ's return. They're not expecting Christ's return. They're not looking for it. Notice verse 3. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like birth pangs upon a woman with child. Now we have another metaphor to explain the metaphor. The first metaphor was like a thief in the night. The second metaphor is like a pregnant woman with birth pangs. At the heart of this illustration is the concept that a pregnant woman is expecting. Sometimes we even say that. Uh, we say a woman is with child. Or we say a woman is expecting. Meaning she is expecting a child. She's looking forward to giving birth. She's looking forward to delivery. The illustration is of these birth pangs. And again, birth pangs are often associated 
with prophetic scriptures concerning the Lord's return. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 24. <clears throat> you might as well turn with there and keep your finger there, because we're going to go back and forth between Matthew 24 and the passage we're in. Matthew chapter 24, starting with verse 3. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him, that is Jesus, privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming into the end of the age? What's going to be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. And you will be hearing of wars <coughs> and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not the end yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. Now notice verse 8. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Exact same phrase. Exact same word that's found in our text. These are the beginning of birth pains. This is the start of contractions, if you will. When contractions start, you know that it's not too long before the baby's coming. Women, ladies, you know that once your contractions start, that the Lord's coming is, excuse me, the baby's coming is imminent. And in this sense, the Lord's coming is imminent when these birth pangs start. I remember when my wife was giving birth to our oldest daughter, Sarah. And my wife had a doctor's appointment at, uh, it was four o'clock in the afternoon. And, uh, of course, we were expecting, okay? It didn't come as a blue. Uh, she didn't go to the doctor and say, oh, by the way, you're pregnant. She knew that. She was very close to delivery. And the doctor said to her, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, looked at her and said, you know, this baby could come tonight or in a couple of weeks. Now, remember, this is a medical professional looking at her, examining her and saying, you know, it could be tonight or it could be a couple of weeks. She left, and an hour later, her contractions began. Then it was apparent to everybody, this is coming soon. It's about there. It's on horizons. Well, here it says that this thief is coming, and it will be like a woman whose birth pangs come upon her suddenly. Suddenly, unexpectedly. But see, the, the key here is that the non-believer doesn't even think that there's any such thing as the Lord's return. And then, these birth pangs are going to start. And then all of a sudden, there's going to be this, this awareness, this reality. But it is too late. It is too late. The third aspect of the Lord's coming as a thief, means that the non-believers are not ready for Christ's return 
and thus will experience judgment and wrath. A feast coming in this text is not a good thing. It's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. You think about a thief. Thieves aren't good. Thieves are bad. And so when it says that Jesus is coming as a thief in the night, that's a bad thing. Notice verse 3. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like birth pangs upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. And they shall not escape. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 39, it reads, uh, let me go back there and, and pick up the context. Matthew 24, starting with verse 38. For as in the days before the flood, uh, well, excuse me, verse uh, 37. For the coming of the Son of Man will be like in the days of Noah. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving to marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. They didn't understand. They knew it. They heard it. They could see the building of the ark, but they didn't put it all together. It didn't create faith. It didn't create belief. It didn't create repentance. They didn't turn until the flood came and it's too late. So too, in the Word of God, that the non-believing world will hear. And the non-believing world will see things that ought to shake them to their boots. And it won't. And the Lord will return. And they will not escape judgment. They shall not escape judgment. The destruction will come like a mighty flood. The non-believers are going to experience an eternal judgment. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, And to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. I said this passage is a series of contrasts. Keep that in mind and look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 10. Who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. There's the contrast. They are banished from his presence. The child of God lives with him forever and ever. But they're going to be destroyed. They're going to, they're going to experience judgment. They're going to experience condemnation. So, what does the coming of the Lord as a thief mean for the non-Christian? 
Well, it means that uh, they're not afraid. It means that they are not expecting his return. And it means that they are going to experience judgment. So, what does the Lord's coming mean for the believer? First and foremost, and if you get nothing else from this message, get this. First and foremost, the Lord's coming is not, not, not like a thief for the believer. Look at verse 4. Underline this verse. Because I can't tell you how many times I've heard just the exact opposite. People will talk about the Lord's coming as a thief for the Christian. No! He doesn't come like a thief for the Christian. Look at verse 4. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you like a thief. That day doesn't come like a thief to the believer. He comes like a thief to the non-believer. But he doesn't come like a thief to the believer. Why not? Three things. First, That's a good thing. First, what does it mean? Well, I didn't write it down. Okay. First, it means that we should be expecting his return. Verse 4, that you should overtake you like a thief. There is a stark contrast in this passage, contrast of believer and non-believer, contrast of coming as a thief and not coming as a thief. Verse 4, it says, But you, brethren, are not in darkness. Meaning, you know the truth. You have God's Word. You have instruction from Jesus. And you should be expecting that God will keep His Word. That the day should overtake you like a thief. Secondly, it means the Lord's coming as a thief. Should be, we should be ready for the Lord's return. And we are ready for the Lord's return, not by speculating about when, but by serving. We should be ready for the Lord's return by living in the light that we have received. Notice verse 5. <coughs> for you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night, nor of darkness. Again, a series of contrasts in this passage that if you will look at them, you will see them clearly. Look at verse <coughs> 2. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief. But notice these next words. <coughs> In the night. In the night. In darkness. In unawareness. But, according to verse 4, that day should not overtake you like a thief. Why? 
For you're all sons of light and of the day. You're not people of the night. You're not people in darkness. You're not people who are unaware of the truth. He's going to come for you in the light of day. Not in the darkness of night. He's not going to come as a thief to you. You're going to be ready. You're going to be expecting. You're going to be looking forward to His coming. Verse 6. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be sober and alert. We're not to be partying and carousing and carrying on like they were in the days of Excuse me. I thought I was going to get through this, but excuse me. We should not be carrying on and carousing like in the days of Noah. But we ought to be like a Noah building the ark. We ought to be a people ready, looking forward to, anticipating the Lord's return. For notice in verse 7 it says, For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. The non-believer is not in spiritual darkness. We are not people who should be craving what is done in the darkness. I remember my, my mother used to have a, a curfew that uh, uh, really, just a saying that she'd say to me, nothing good happens after midnight. Get home. Well, there's a lot of bad things that happen in, in, in the night. Good things happen in the day. In the night, people party. In the day, people work. And it says, you are people today. You ought to be sober. You ought to be, you ought to be conscious. You ought to be prepared. You ought to be ready. There are also similarities with this and the passage in Ephesians. In Ephesians, it says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. <coughs> For you were formerly darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. <coughs> Walk as children of light. Uh, Bonnie, would you give me a glass of water, please? Or something. I should have brought it up here, but I thought it was going to be fine. <coughs> Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. Be filled with the Spirit. So there's this, this imagery of spiritual darkness, spiritual light. Live as children of the light. Notice 1 Thessalonians 5.8. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, as opposed to drunk, also alert, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. And... You can't read that if you know your Bible without thinking of Ephesians chapter 6. For the whole armor of God. And putting on that, that helmet of salvation all these other things. It's saying you need to be ready for spiritual battle. You need to be aware of what is taking place. Uh, you need to be people who have armed yourself with the readiness for all that's going to be associated for the coming of the Lord. Back to Matthew chapter 24. 
Thank you, sir. Matthew chapter 24, verse 42. Therefore, be on the alert. For you do not know the day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this. That if the head of the house had known at what time of the, the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert. <coughs> and would not have allowed, it, allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, <coughs> you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time. (coughs) And begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards. That master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour which he does not know. And will come in pieces and assign him a place with hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So it says, we must be careful. And one of the, the ways in which you can really determine a true Christian from just a mere professor is what do they really believe about the Lord's return? In this parable, this person says, oh, I can just eat and drink and be merry because, man, you know... Huh. Who knows when my master's coming back and it's probably going to be a long, long time. Let me just ask you straight up. Just, not looking for a show of hands or something, but just in your own heart of hearts. Do you believe in the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you really anticipate that Jesus Christ, the one who was born of the Virgin Mary, that babe that grew, was placed on the cross, crucified, dead and buried, came out of the tomb, ascended into heaven, is one day coming back bodily to this earth? Do you believe that? Or would you just be absolutely, incredibly amazed if one day he were to show up? Because you're not really expecting it. You're not really looking for it. You're not really anticipating it. We know that the Lord is coming back. Therefore, we should anticipate it. And I tell you people, when you see birth pangs, You ought to really be anticipating it. You ought to really be looking forward to it. Now, there are many false contractions in labor. There are a lot of false contractions in labor pains concerning the Lord's return. 
It's pretty nebulous. So there's going to be famines. There's going to be floods. There's going to be wars. Historically speaking, <coughs> there have been times in which prophecy conferences have just abounded. There's been no end of speculation. And if, if you think about the times and seasons of them, you can understand why. I can understand why, during the time of World War II, that there was a lot of talk about the Lord's return. I get that real easy. I get that real clear. I understand when there are tsunamis. I understand when there are these earthly catastrophes. But the whole point is that when you encounter these things, you ought to say to yourself, I wonder if this could be it. I wonder if this could be the start of the end. I wonder if this means that the Lord is coming in my generation, in my time. It should cause us to stop and reflect. Not that we can pinpoint. Not that we can say with accuracy. Not that we can say, this is that which the Scripture speaks of. When I get to 2 Thessalonians, there's going to be a this is that moment in 2 Thessalonians. In 2 Thessalonians, there's going to be something you can point to and say, wow, when that happens, it's really near now. Okay, the water breaks, as it were, in Second Thessalonians. We're not there yet. What's your appetite? Be a few weeks or months. But we'll get there. But this morning, the thought is, we should be ready. Third, what does it mean that he is not coming as a thief to us? It means that we should not fear his coming. Look at verse 9. First Thessalonians 5, 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The great news is that we have nothing to fear in the Lord's return. The non-believing world isn't afraid. They need to be afraid. Because judgment is going to immediately come upon his, his return. But for us, there's no judgment. There's no condemnation. Look at verse 10 of 1 Thessalonians 5. Who died for us that whether we awake or sleep, we will live together with him. Jesus Christ died for us. Romans says, much more than, having been now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more have been reconciled will be saved by his life. We've been reconciled by the blood of his son. If we're saved by his death, how much more by his life? When he comes to this earth, we're going to be delivered from all of that wrath of God. We will not experience any of his judgment. It says in verse 10 of 1 Thessalonians 5, whether we awake or sleep. The sleep that is spoken of in verse 10 is the sleep back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15. Notice 1 Thessalonians 4, 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain in the coming of the Lord should not precede those who have fallen asleep. Last week we looked at that. It's talking about those who have died. So what First 10 of, uh, of First Thessalonians 5 is saying, whether we have died or whether we are alive, 
whether like all the generations before us, they are in the grave, or whether we are alive and He comes in our lifetime, it doesn't matter. Verse 10, we will live together with Him forever. There is nothing to fear in the Lord's return. So we say with the writer of the book of Revelation, even so come Lord Jesus. We should welcome it. We should long for it. It will be great and glorious. It will be terrific. Conclusion? The Lord comes. To some he comes like a thief in the night. It's a bad thing. To others, he doesn't come like a thief and he doesn't come in the night. He comes in the day. He comes in the full light of expectation. He comes to hearts whose minds have been enlightened and understand the truth. To the non-believing world, they are going to be shocked beyond all measure. For the child of God, it is an anticipation. But understand that even as a child of God, we don't know when, precisely. We can't fix a date. We can't fix a time. But we should be looking. We should be on the alert. And when we see birth pangs, we ought to be very much focused on the idea that this could be near. This could be coming. I need to be ready. So what does it mean for the child of God? First, it means we should be confident in the Lord's return. Second, it means that we should be expecting the Lord's return just as a mother, a uh, pregnant woman, is expecting to give birth to a child. We ought to be expecting the Lord's return. And then thirdly, we should be readying for it. Like Noah who's building an ark. Like a mother who begins to decorate a child's bedroom and starts getting furniture together, starts buying the crib and the car seat and picking out themes and the baby you know, boo stuff and all that. They're getting ready for the birth of this baby. While we are waiting, we ought to be getting ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you get ready? To live for Him. To live for Him. He's not asked you to build an ark. He's not asked you to prepare a baby's room. He's asked you to love and serve Him. He's asked you to live your life with a confidence that one day I'm going to hear from Him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It means that we are different from the world because we don't just party and carouse and live like there's no judgment. There's never an end to all of this great stuff that we now experience. And just like in the days of Noah when all of a sudden that flood comes, so too, one day, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come and there's going to be judgment. For us, we have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We've asked Him to be our Savior. And we are hanging in there. We're plugging away. Serving Him. With the expectation He's coming back. And don't let the herald campings of this world rob you of the full assurance that He's coming again. Because that's our hope, people. 
That's when everything is set right. That's when we come forth from the grave. That's when we receive our resurrection body. That's when we experience the joys of the millennial kingdom and we experience the reality of being with Him forever and ever. That is our hope. And you know everything you need to know about when He's coming. In order to be ready for it. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to anticipate the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might be a people who live not in darkness, but in light, in the, in the knowledge of, of your word. Even as this passage says, we know fully all that we need to know. The Lord, may we realize that you have revealed everything we need to know. And there are many things that, that people have been willing to just overlook. The Lord, help us to study passages like Matthew chapter 24 that shed great light on the realities of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, uh, give us discipline to stay away from all the fictionalized accounts. All the garbage that's out there that people have written and speculated about and sensationalized and scared people out of their wits. Lord, help us to focus upon truth and the reality of your coming and there is nothing to fear in your coming. Lord, help us to be a people of the day, living our lives to bring honor and glory to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.